Let us begin in the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Amen. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Well, welcome to another edition of Seeds of Truth. This is your host, Joe Holcraft, coming to you from KKXX Studios, Tico Live Radio 104.5 FM and AM 930. It is great to have you with me another Wednesday evening where we continue our reflections into Paul's first letter to the Corinthians. We will start chapter 3, but not before we add a few more thoughts to our reflections from chapter 2. Um, and as I say that, I do welcome all of you who are tuning in by way of podcast from the countries of Canada, Mexico, Brazil, Argentina, Chile, uh, France, Portugal, Spain, Italy, India, China, South Africa. I see all of you on the grid, and I really do want to welcome you, however you may be accessing this podcast. It really is an honor that you are taking time out of your busy schedules to be joining me as we continue again our reflections as we journey through Paul's first letter to the Corinthians. You know, I have been talking about the word inspiration. You've heard me mention that word at least a few times over the past few weeks and how we are called to live an inspired life. Now, I put it in the context of Paul who is inspired and how his words should inspire us. What does that mean? <laughs> I left yesterday thinking to myself, we should probably consider what that word means and how it even might help us better understand what it means to live just not an inspired life, but how our wisdom is inspired. You know, inspiration comes from the Latin inspirare, which literally translates to inflame, blow into, or to breathe. Now, the word inspiration certainly figures very much into the vocabulary of the Holy Spirit as we read all throughout sacred scripture. The Spirit of God as the breath of God. Job chapter 26, verse 13. How about the very popular chapter 37 from the prophet Ezekiel, more specifically verses 4 to 14. And of course, we have the great verses that come to us from John chapter 20, verses 21 to 22, where Jesus Christ himself is breathing the Spirit of God into the apostles. So the breath of God as the Spirit of God is paramount in sacred scripture. Christ opens his Sermon on the Mount with a teaching that speaks to one's good fortune if they are spiritually poor, breathing in God, as it were. What is that great passage? Matthew chapter 5, verse 3. I don't know if there's any one biblical passage that I've quoted more than the first beatitude, Matthew 5, verse 3. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of God. The Greek word Therefore, spirit is pneuma, which translates as breath. Where do we get the word pneumonia, but breathing, lung? In this verse, Matthew 5, verse 3, Christ is teaching us that we are blessed if we long for the Spirit of God, just as our lungs long for the air we breathe. Now, that being said, how does one acquire such intoxication in the Spirit? Well, prayer the kind of Christ-like conversation with God that first sighs, groans, breathes heavily. In the Gospel of Mark, 
we read of Christ teaching the deaf man with a speech impediment. In a moment that often goes overlooked, Christ, what do we read? Sighed, sighed. Go to Mark chapter 7, verses 32 to 35. You know, any good scripture study is going to have us going to different verses, right? In Mark chapter 7, verses 32 to 35, what do we read? Jesus pulling the deaf man aside from the multitude privately. He put his fingers into his ears and he spat and touched his tongue. And looking up to heaven, he sighed and said to him, Ephphatha, that is, be opened. And his ears were opened, his tongue was released, and he spoke plainly. Now, the Greek word for sigh also translates as groan. My dear friends, the Holy Spirit turns our groaning and sighing into the most impassioned prayer as the Spirit himself intercedes for us with, what do we read in Romans 8, verse 26? Sighs too deep for words. In other words, my friends, our breathing heavily in the Spirit becomes the point and origin of all good and inspired prayer. You've heard me share before <laughs> that St. John Paul II would often start his day in prayer with heavy groans and breathing. St. John Paul II, the man who taught us so much about prayer with his words, teaches us so much more with his prayer and action an action that is actually a groaning, a sign, a sound that is but an echo chamber of Jesus Christ himself as he is interceding, as he is mediating on behalf of the deaf man. What's more, should we not say that inspired prayer always includes an inflammation of the heart? What does that word inspirare mean? To inflame. Brothers and sisters, as we prayerfully breathe in the Spirit of God, our hearts are inflamed with the love of God. It should come to no surprise that when the disciples were on the road to Emmaus, they said to each other, Did not our hearts burn with us while he, Jesus, talked to us on the road? While he opened up to us the Scriptures, the disciples were being intoxicated with God's presence, the all-consuming fire of God. So we're does the inspirational message come from? Where does a life inspired come from? The Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit, Debbie and I were talking the other day. We so often ask the question, do you have a relationship with our personal Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ? Well, how about, do you have a relationship with the Holy Spirit? Because quite honestly, my friends, we have to ask another question. If we don't have a relationship with the Holy Spirit, the gift that Jesus himself gave to us to have a relationship with him, how can we have a relationship with Jesus Christ? We are to live a life inspired, a life in the Holy Spirit. And in this, my friends, what we will discover is that we will live a life of Spirit-inspired wisdom. Spirit-inspired wisdom. Does not Paul want us to see this? This is not limited to the official teaching by church authorities, but is the very heritage and privilege of every believer, as we can see from the charismatic nature of the Corinthian community, right? Where inspirations given by the Holy Spirit were freely shared among those gathered for worship. This wisdom and its expression 
sets the Christian apart from the world that is closed and opposed to the light of God's revelation, as well as from the worldly wisdom of those who can see no further than human reason. Now, this is something we haven't really touched upon yet, at least in detail, the importance of faith and reason in relationship to wisdom. We live in a world where both faith and reason are imperiled by subjectivism and relativism that so easily looks into our way of thinking and says things like, it doesn't matter what you believe, or one religion is as good as another, or you have your belief, I have my belief, and let's just be on our way. It was said on one occasion that morality, like beauty, is in the eye of the beholder. What we are finding today, my friends, is that it is not uncommon for individuals to construct their own religion, creating their own truth, we can say, with disregard for the wisdom that humanity has taken millennia to acquire, to say nothing of a divine revelation that might make demands on us, such as the Christian faith anchored in the self-giving love of the crucified one, Jesus Christ. Remember what Jesus himself said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. Not a way, not a truth, a life, but the way, the truth, and the life. This is what separates Christianity from every other religion. It raises the bar. Why? Because Jesus has our best interest. He wants us to become the best version of who we were created to be, which at the very least is a reflection of his truth, beauty, and goodness. Truth, whether reached through reason or revelation, is an objective reality. It is there whether we like it or not. And it is also the only thing that can bring about true community. Love, Paul says in 1 Corinthians chapter 13, verses 6 to 7, not only bears with those who disagree with us, but also rejoices with the truth. So if we are to be living the truth in love, as Paul says in his letter to the Ephesians, chapter 4, verse 15, it is crucial that we know the truth in the midst of so much intellectual confusion today. The mind of Christ challenges us to, as Paul says in Romans chapter 12, verse 2, constantly be transformed by the renewal of your mind that you may discern what is the will of God. Did we not talk about that the other day? What is good, pleasing, and perfect. Spirit-inspired wisdom regards faith and reason. As St. John Paul II would put it, two wings that rise together that we might contemplate the deeper meaning of truth itself. We must regard wisdom, the Spirit-inspired wisdom, that sees and regards faith and reason as quintessential to the spiritual life. All right, now <laughs> let us turn our attention to 1 Corinthians chapter 3. And uh, George Montague here has a nice opening before he gets into his uh, commentary. He says, having laid out his magnificent theology of the cross in chapter 1, and his teaching on true godly wisdom in chapter 2. Paul now tells the Corinthians what these exalted reflections mean for the way they are to live. 
Montague continues, rivalries show that they neither understand the cross nor experience the spiritual wisdom that only the spiritually mature enjoy. Since the rivalries are over different ministries, Paul will now develop a theology of apostolic ministry. So this is very much what is at the heart of chapter 3. On the one hand, Paul punctuates this inflated conception that Corinthians have of the ministry as a popularity contest, something we we touched upon in chapter 1. He kind of gets into it in more detail, this competition, this idea again that Paul, Apollos, and Peter are only instructors and the one instructor, capital I. On the other hand, Paul wants us to see that our ministry is at the service of God and building up his church. Okay, so this is what chapter 3 is about. Now, if you want to turn to chapter 3, and I will go ahead and read verses 1 to 9. If if you are not already there, you can go ahead and, and turn there, and I am myself doing that right now. Chapter 3, verses 1 to 9. All right, this is Paul. But I, brethren, cannot address you as spiritual men, but as men of the flesh, as in infants in Christ. I fed you with milk, not solid food, for you are not ready for it, and even yet you are not ready, for you are still of the flesh. For while there is jealousy and strife among you, are you not of the flesh, and behaving like ordinary men? For when one says, I belong to Paul, and another, I belong to Apollos, are you not merely men? What then is Apollos? What is Paul? Servants through whom you believed as the Lord assigned to each. I planted, Apollos watered, but God gave the growth. So neither he who plants nor he who waters is anything, but only God who gives the growth. He who plants and he who waters are equal, and each shall receive his wages according to his labor. For we are God's fellow workers. You are God's field, God's building. Now the flesh for Paul is what? But that human tendency towards sin, that human tendency toward selfishness and resistance to God. So to be of the flesh is to give way to fleshy drives, if you will, such as, what does he say here? Jealousy and rivalry, and thus to act in a way that tears down rather than builds up the body of Christ. We should here ask ourselves the question, who are we jealous of? Who do we consider a rival? Now, there's such a thing called holy rivalry, holy competition. That could be a good thing if it challenges us to become a better version of who God is calling us to be. But the kind of rivalry that breaks down, that's something entirely different. And this is what Paul is talking about here. Why? Because this is precisely what the Corinthians are doing with their quarreling and disunity. Paul uses human here and throughout this whole section for what is deficient, not in itself, but by comparison with what? With who? But God, right? What is merely human is foolish in contrast with God's wisdom, weak in contrast with God's power. Next time you pat yourself on the shoulder for something you did, ask yourself the question, how could have God done this better? Or maybe better yet, God, how are you calling me to be humble? We are mere instruments, and we can only be instrumental as we ought to be if we are humble.
So, men of the flesh, an important phrase. Now, more collectively, as uh, I had touched upon already, and Montague certainly was uh, talking about, Paul stresses that success in ministry is primarily the work of God. Essentially, my friends, teachers of the flock must recognize that God alone gives life and growth to the church. Now, in subsequent verses that we didn't read, we see that <laughs> that work will uh, be tested in, in God's day of judgment. So Paul wants us to see that the faithful must not overestimate the importance of their teachers, but see them as, what did he say in verse 5, chapter 3, verse 5? Servants. And in verse 9, fellow workers of the Lord. Servants and, and fellow workers. This, again, is what it's about, to be co-workers in the building up of the kingdom of God. Once we realize we are co-workers, we can better understand what Paul is talking about when he says, I planted, Apollos watered, but God gave the growth, right? We are in the business of planting seeds. We are in the business of watering those seeds. But it is God who takes care of the growth. We have the tendency to want to see the growth. Huh? <laughs> have you ever been there? Have you ever been ministering to someone and you didn't see the growth and maybe you got frustrated and you were just done with it? We plant, we water, and we let God take care of the growth. You know, we might <laughs> be traveling down Interstate 5. Interstate 5 is a main interstate here in the state of California. <laughs> we might be traveling down Interstate 5 and we see a tomato stand. And the first time we see a tomato stand, we say to ourselves, gosh, I can go for a tomato, but you want to know what? It's not worth it. We, we need to be on our way. And so we're on our way. And then maybe about 10 miles down, we see a second tomato stand. And still yet, we say the same thing. Gosh, I can go for a few tomatoes, but we need to be on our way. And 10 miles down the road, we see a third tomato stand. And so on and so forth, until we get to the sixth or seventh tomato stand, and we say, you want to know what? <laughs> We're going to stop and buy a, a bag of tomatoes. You didn't buy the bag of tomatoes 60, 70, 80 miles back. Why? Because you were more hungry? Well, maybe, but you see something enough. You're presented with something enough, and by golly, by the sixth, seventh tomato stand, you're going to buy it. You're going to buy the bag of tomatoes. My friends, our faith and our ministry is much like that. Maybe someone doesn't buy into the Christian faith initially, but if you plant the seed and over time others water that seed, it will grow. It will grow. We just need to trust in God. We need to play our part. And we need to be careful not to put expectation into what we do. We put faith, we put hope, we put love, but we have to be careful of putting the kind of expectation into what we do that leaves us disappointed. It's about trusting God, that we are doing what God is asking us to do. Certainly, we should persevere and evangelize those who God puts into our path. But expectation can be a dangerous thing because, again, it leads to disappointment. And in some cases, it might even lead to resentment. 
But into this context, I think it's just disappointment. Now, why am I talking about all this? Because I really think it's taking what Paul is talking about here and putting it concretely into our reality. I planted, Apollos watered. What is Paul saying? Paul is saying, yes, God does the growing, so we need to trust in God. If we are going to put faith into these situations, we must first understand that, yes, faith is first a gift, but second, an act. And what is that act? If you are a faithful listener, you know that the act of faith is trust. Trust. We need to trust that God is busy growing, and we don't always see the growth. I mean, consider, I'm 6'1". When I was a freshman in high school, I was 5'5". Did I ever see the growth from 5'5 to 6'1"? Huh? <laughs> you ever think about that before? Did I ever look in the mirror and see myself grow? Well, of course not. Though I have a brother who was about 5'5 five, five at one point, and two years later, 6'3". I could have sworn at one point I actually saw him grow. <laughs> at least it seemed like it. Now, seriously, we don't see physical growth. We don't see spiritual growth either. But do we? Well, could we not look back into our own lives, spiritually speaking now, at a time where we were far from God? And now, by the grace of God, we could hopefully say today we are close to God. You see, you look back and you see growth, huh? Just as we see growth in the physical life over time, we see growth in the spiritual life over time. But growth is only going to take place in the spiritual life if we let God do the growing. And we are fervent. We are energetic. We are vigorous. We are vibrant in the way in which we love God in word and deed. Absolutely. Don't think for a second that I'm saying evangelization is passive. No, it is active, right? It is attentive to all of those moments that God puts before us each and every day. But it understands, although very vigorous, active, it understands that God takes care of the growth. All right, how about verse 10 here? According to the grace of God given to me like a skilled master builder, I laid a foundation, and another man is building upon it. Let each man take care how he builds upon it. Now, what is Paul doing? Well, he's taking what we are talking about and putting it to an analogy, right? The phrase skilled master builder also translates as wise architect. Paul laid the foundation of the church in numerous cities by what? Evangelization leaving it to subsequent leaders to build up the congregations in faith and love. He planted, <laughs> right? And other ministers and other priests and other bishops watered. God does the growth. God does the growth. For him, for Paul, the one stable foundation to build upon is the gospel of Jesus Christ. For no other foundation can anyone lay than that which is laid, which is Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ. It's interesting here, some biblical theology that I find fascinating. Architects in the Old Testament were endowed by the Spirit with the wisdom and technical skills necessary to build the wilderness tabernacle and the Jerusalem temple. King Solomon in particular was a 
wise architect, right, who laid the foundation of the temple. And his wisdom was God-inspired, spirit-inspired wisdom, right? Paul, in so many ways, views himself as a spiritual Solomon, if you will, who oversees the building of another temple, the church, and proclaims the greater wisdom of the gospel to Gentiles and the sons of Israel, the wisdom that is Jesus Christ incarnate. Amen to that. Verse 12, now if anyone builds on the foundation with gold, silver, precious stones, wood, lay stubble, each man's work will become manifest. Now if anyone builds, spiritual leaders, my friends, are like artisans commissioned to build believers into the temple of God. Now the quality of their workmanship here is portrayed by a list of building materials ranging from the most valuable to the most least. The first three here are what? Gold, silver, stones. These are expensive. These are durable. While the second three, wood, hay, stubble, are cheap and flammable. Now what's going on here? Consider verse 13. Each man's work will become manifest for the day will disclose it because it will be revealed with fire and the fire will test what sort of work each one has done. If the work which any man has built on the foundation survives, he will receive a reward. If any man's work is burned up, he will suffer loss, though he himself will be saved, but only as through fire. So here, what is Paul talking about? Well, the fiery day, capital D, of judgment. Because the fiery day of judgment will reveal whether they have labored diligently or carelessly. Since all substandard work will be consumed in the flames of what? Divine scrutiny, as chapter 3, verse 15 reminds us. Now, although Paul is speaking directly to the ministers of the gospel, his words certainly apply to all Christians inasmuch as all Christians are called to build up the church in love, in love. Okay, I'm going to have to stop there. I know a lot of you were probably waiting for me to jump into the teaching on purgatory here because this is the classic passage on purgatory. And to some extent, I've already talked about this passage on purgatory, but given we are in 1 Corinthians 3, I will get into purgatory next week, specific to these verses which we've just read, but I do think it was necessary to first appreciate that literal sense huh, of this passage and what Paul was wanting us to see in light of his very words. Okay, with that, let us close with a few words of prayer. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit, amen. Good and gracious God, we do just give you a special thanks and praise for the gift of another evening. I mean, these evenings really are gifts given to us from you, gifts within the context of time, a time that we have set aside to reflect into your inspired words, <laughs> your words which should inflame our hearts, your words which should breathe new life within us, your inspired words which call us to become new each and every day. Give us the grace to be co-workers in the building up of the kingdom of God. We build up in sacrifice. We build up in love and as always, we build up in truth. Amen. All glory be to the Father, and to the Son, and to the Holy Spirit, as it was in the beginning, is now, and ever shall be, world without end. Amen, and God bless you. 
Thanks for listening to Seeds of Truth, heard every evening, Monday through Friday at 5.30 here on KKXX. If you'd like to hear this program or find out how you can help support Seeds of Truth, the website is joeholcraft.org.